0: So we are in a series called The Value of Money. And we started this last week. We're going to finish it today. It's kind of a shorter series. I want to invite you to open up your Bible, or not your Bible, but go ahead and open up the bulletin because there's a few different verses we're going to be looking at today. There's a place there to take notes. Uh, Money is a tough subject to talk about because when a lot of churches talk about money, it can feel manipulative and self-serving. We certainly don't want to do that. If anything that I say today feels funny to you, please listen to last week's message. Um, They go together. This message can't operate well without last week's message, and last week's message needs this week's message, so they go together. Um, And last week we saw that the Bible says there's four ways that we can spend money that make God happy. Four ways we can spend money that actually help us grow to become more like Jesus. Um, And here they are. First, we are to celebrate with our money. We're to celebrate God's extravagant grace in your life by buying things you don't need. The Bible says we should do this. God wants us to do this and is happy when we do. Second, you are to provide for your needs and your families. And then today we're going to look at three and four. You're to care for the needs of people in your life. And um, you're also to tithe 10% of your income to the church. So the first two, they're more inward focused. We talked about these last week, where you're spending money on yourself, and these last two are outward focus. These are the ones we're going to talk about today. And these are powerful. They're powerful because when we spend our money in any of these ways, with a God-oriented perspective, we experience God. We actually can commune with him in the moment that we spend that money, and we can grow spiritually. And so we're going to look again at these last two. So we're going to start today with care. So spending money to connect with God, we're going to spend money on care. This is caring for the needs of people in your life. I want to look at the passage, the middle passage in your bulletin. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is an example of people in the Bible who are giving to care for the needs of others. It says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor in taking part in the relief of the saints. Man, this is one of those passages that just sort of jumps off the page when you slow down and look and see what it actually says. Um, in verse four, it says that uh, they were meeting an urgent need to care for a group of people in Jerusalem, this taking part in the relief of the saints. You've got this church in Jerusalem that was, that was in poverty because a famine struck and they didn't have enough money. And so the churches in Macedonia said, what? No, 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 we, we, we want in, we want to help. And so this was a need that they were helping outside of their local context. So it was above and beyond their normal giving to the church. Um, Verse 3 says that their giving was proportional. So it was according to their means. You see that in verse 3? They gave according to their means, but it was also sacrificial. It says they gave beyond their means. And then verse 2 shows the attitude. The attitude, it says that they had an abundance of joy. Uh, In verse four, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this. They heard about the need. They're like, wait, wait, we want to give. We want to give, we want to give. Can we please give? They were saying, Paul, can we please give you money to take with you? You're heading to Jerusalem. Take our money, take money back. We want to bless the church in Jerusalem, right? Do you know anybody in your life that really loves to help others? Like someone who's like, they're just dying. They just, it's like, Oh, like Beauty and the Beast, that song from however long ago, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving, right? They're not whole without a soul to wait upon, right? Not just a imagined, you know, enchanted candlestick, but like people, there are real people like this, right? Where if they're not helping someone else out, they're not full, they're not, they're not, they're not themselves, right? This is how our giving can be. This is the example that we see here where they were so overjoyed to give, And so as a definition of giving, spending your money to care for others, um, this means spending some of your money to meet the needs of others who aren't in your immediate family. Okay. Because if they're in your immediate family, like if you're, if they're dependents, then it's not care. It's what? It's provide, right? From last week. Remember that? Has it been that long? Seven days, okay. No, no, so if it's your family, it's providing, but when it's someone who's not in your immediate family, it's caring, right? And so um, now you can do this in all kinds of ways, right? Anytime you spend any money to care for the need of someone else, that's care, that delights the heart of God, that's a reflection of the attitude that's in the Second Corinthians 8 passage. Um, so you can do this by giving to charities, you can do this by giving to organizations or just to people directly, you can do that. And again, this is above and beyond the normal giving that you give to the church. And when you think about it that way, the CARE fund is a great place to give this kind of money because the church does a really good job of knowing how to use that money. Okay? We not only can pool our resources together to make a bigger impact, but again, the CARE team assesses needs. Right? They add the elements of wisdom and accountability and community. Um, And so you can go to the care team yourself. You can direct people to the care team if you know about a financial need that exists in the church. Um, Now, when we talk about this subject of caring for the needs of others that aren't in your family, the question inevitably comes up here in San Diego as a downtown church, what should I say to people who ask me for money on the street? Right? This comes up all the time. This can come up on a weekly basis as you leave church. It's an important question to talk about. And actually, this is a question that needs to be discussed in community, right? There isn't a yes or no question or a yes or no answer to this question. Um, It takes prayer, it takes wisdom, And it would take me about 15 minutes, I think, just to even scratch the surface of giving you the principles that you need to apply in making a decision at any given time whether you should say yes or no to a request for money on the streets. But this is what I'm gonna do this week. I'm gonna give the wisdom and the principles that we've learned as a church to our life group leaders. Okay, I'm gonna give it to our life group leaders so that this discussion can happen in our life groups because that's actually a better place to have this discussion. Because sometimes you should say yes, sometimes you should say no, sometimes you should say no but, sometimes you should say yes but, when you uh, respond to someone who's asking you on the street for money. So go to a life group this week. What a great opportunity to have a great discussion. Um, My encouragement in this area of care would be that each one of you take some of your discretionary spending, right? So you... We tithe, you provide for your needs and then whatever's left over, right? That stuff is designed for celebrate and care. okay? And so I would encourage you to take some portion of that extra money and decide that you're going to use that money to give it away for people who have needs. Um, so let's say, let's say it's a hundred bucks. And you say, look for the next year. So in 2018, I'm going to set aside $100 dollars could be 500, I mean, whatever it is. But if you set aside some portion of money, let's say it's 100 bucks, it's there. That way, when you hear about needs that come up, whether they're special needs in the church or in a life group or a friend, whether it's an extended family member that you're not ultimately responsible for, whether it's a need in the, in the, in the city, you can say, oh, wait, hey, hold on, wait, I have, I have money for this. Like, I could do something here. How exciting. I put this money aside and guess what? Here it is. Here's a chance. And you can actually participate in caring to meet that need. It'll get you excited. It'll make you feel like you're part of it. You'll kind of, hey, God, this whole thing, this is really cool how it happened. Here's the best reason why you should give money and spend some of your money to care for people. It's because when you do this, caring for others makes you a miracle. Okay, that's the bottom line. When it comes to caring, this makes you a miracle. What do I mean by that? Well, what's a miracle? A miracle. Remember in Jesus's day, um, that Jesus and his apostles they were able to do miracles, right? They were able to they had this power of the Holy Spirit that had come upon them, and they could go into situations and kind of zap things, and stuff would happen, right? Miraculous things would happen. Um, Jesus and the apostles would feed the hungry with miracles right we just have like five loaves and two fish and there's 5000 men and presumably 15 to 20,000 if you count the women and the children in this huge crowd we got five loaves and two fish and yet Jesus is there and Jesus does a miracle zap zap i have no idea he starts breaking the bread and he never stops breaking the bread and he never stops breaking the bread. And they keep passing the bread out. And they keep passing the fish out. And they're passing it out. He keeps breaking, he keeps breaking. And pretty soon, everyone is full. I mean, it's like us on Thursday at like 8 p.m., right? <laughs> it was me on Wednesday after pie night. And then it was on Thursday after Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and this is Jesus, like with his miraculous work, right? The apostles are able to do this. They also heal the sick with miracles. So someone is blind, zap, they can see. Someone is deaf, zap, they can hear. Someone is lame, they're laying on the ground, and zap, they're walking, right? These miraculous things were done. Now, in my experience, in the experience of our church, Jesus still does miracles, okay? There are times in our church family when Jesus has zap somebody through our prayers, through the anointing with oil, where stuff has happened and there's no explanation. Your tendon was separated. The MRI clearly showed that. And when they went in to sew it back together, the tendon was back on. Um, This has happened. People have been healed in our church. And I say that because it doesn't happen very often. (laughs) There's lots of things that we pray for where it seems like God's answer is in a different direction than what we're hoping it would be. We pray for healing all the time. We pray for God to do miraculous things. And very often, God doesn't perform miracles. It's not like it was in Jesus's day where you had people, including Jesus, walking around with this power to zap people. We don't have that in our church. Um, so for us... Um, it's important to realize that Jesus still does miracles, okay? The miracles that Jesus does now predominantly are less supernatural, but they're no less extraordinary, okay? Because Jesus is still at work, and he's working through people. He's working through you. He's working through me together. Think about this. When we give people money and resources and counsel, we become miracles. We don't have the miraculous power to multiply bread and feed the hungry. There have been times at communion where we start peeling it off and it looks like it's not going to last and it does. And that's exciting. Not quite a miracle. I think we're just pulling off smaller pieces. <laughs> um However, when life groups in our church put together a meal plan for someone who's sick or just had a baby, we, that life group is a miracle. You follow? Um, we don't have the miraculous ability to heal someone who's sick, although we pray. But when Marion Donahue goes and visits someone in the hospital, when she gives them the comfort and the care of Jesus, she is a, when she's a manifestation and she gives people hope and the presence of God to people who are hurting, she is a miracle. And again, in some ways, it's less supernatural, but it's not less miraculous. It's no less extraordinary, I think, I think, my opinion, is that it's an even greater demonstration of God's power, okay? Because when ordinary people sacrifice their time and their money to love others, I think that takes more of God's power than someone who can touch you and zap you healed. So if I show up in a situation and I can zap someone and their financial need goes away, I'm good. Cool. See ya. Glad to help, right? If I go to a hospital and I walk in, zap, you're healed. Cool. Good. Catch you later. I'm out. Like my life, nothing happened to me, right? Like there was no, I mean, I just got to zap. I got maybe a little bit of glory for myself. I got some credit because I zapped somebody. Like, so I'm the miracle worker how much more of a sacrifice does it take for me to actually have to write a check? How much more of God's power does it take to curb my selfishness, my self-centeredness to show up at the hospital? I mean, it's one thing to go once, but how much more of God's power does it take for someone to stay day in and day out as someone is nursed back to health. I think it takes more of God's power to be ordinary miracles that aren't ordinary at all. They're extraordinary, but they're less supernatural. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't answer our prayers for healing this way is because I think Jesus wants us to be the answer. I think he's saying, look, what the world needs is not you being a miracle worker. The world needs you showing up and showing love. That's going to move the needle on this earth more than if a miracle was done or if something supernatural was done. And so caring for others, meeting the needs of other people in your life makes you a miracle. When you spend your money in whatever way to help someone else who has a need, you are standing in the gap. They are receiving something from outside of themselves, right? They can't fix the problem themselves when you come alongside and offer. And this isn't just money, although that's what we're talking about, right? When you spend your money this way, you're bringing in money You're bringing in, but you bring in your presence, your care, your love, your wisdom, right? In all these ways, you are coming in from outside. God is providing something to this person from outside of themselves. And it's, I think it's miraculous. This makes me excited. This makes me in a place where I would have abundance of joy and beg earnestly for the favor of becoming miracle. This is what we want all of you to be with the care fund. To give to the care fund in our Christmas offering means you get to be a miracle. And in a related way, although it's different, um, we're going to look now, um, finished with care, we're going to talk about tithing. Right? The fourth way, the final way to spend our money is to do what the Bible calls tithe. Um, It's important to understand. So here's a definition Tithing means to give 10% of your income to the church that you call home so that it can support its leaders and perform its ministries. So just to get really practical here, to make sure there's no confusion, this means that for every $10 you earn, a dollar goes to the church. If your salary is $50,000 a year, then you should give $5,000 to the church. If you make more than that, you should give more. If you make less than that, you should give less. Um, It's important to realize that if you don't have an income, then God's a mathematician, right? 10% of zero is zero. Like God is delighted. He's not undelighted with you. He is no less delighted if you're giving 10% of zero. Um, So don't feel like if you don't have an income, you're not losing out here. Um, And so... But let me, uh, let me give you um, a biblical basis for tithing. So we're just going to scratch the surface here. Um, some of you are going to want a lot more detail than what I'm going to give you. And if you do, come talk to me. Some of you are going to want less detail than I'm going to give you. And so bear with me. Um, I'm going to frustrate all of you in that way, maybe. Um, but a biblical basis for tithing, um, it starts with Jesus, right? It always starts with Jesus. In Matthew 23, 23, this is in your bulletin. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And you know what Jesus is going to say next, right? Jesus is going to say, Heck with tithing, you should focus on these weightier matters, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are important. Tithing's irrelevant. You don't need to tithe. Like tithing's go. like, no, that's Old Testament stuff. Don't do that. Work on the weightier matters. It's about justice and mercy and faithfulness. Wait, that's not what Jesus says. He says, wait, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so here we have Jesus affirming the tithe. Jesus is affirming the scribes and Pharisees, even these hypocrites. He's saying, you tithe these little, tiny, little pieces of income in your life. Um, That's what the mint and dill and cumin are, these little tiny seeds. They were given like every 10 seeds they got on their harvest, they give one. And he was like, you are so meticulous in the details of like down every penny you're tithing, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. You're hypocrites. You're ruining God's presence among his people. You're lying to people about what God is like because of your hypocrisy. And he's like, you need to do both. (laughs) You need to do both. And so he's affirming here the practice of tithing. Um, Now the purpose of tithing, like this, just, just to back up a little bit, tithing, giving 10%, this was a proportion that meant you were putting God first, Okay, in different parts of the Bible, this is also related to the concept of first fruits. And it means that you believe that everything that you have comes from God and that you're going to honor him with all of it. And so you give him 10% uh, symbolically as a way to say, God, I'm going to devote my whole life and all of my money to you. And what that means, remember, is that this means that the rest of the 90%, you get to spend on celebrating, providing, and caring, right? That's what it means to honor God with the rest of it. Now, Abraham was the Bible's first recorded tither, okay? He tithed before Moses and the law of Moses, and so tithing continues after the law of Moses. In Genesis 14, Abraham gave God 10%. Now, the law that came through Moses 430 years later doesn't change God's promises to Abraham, nor does it cancel the principles of Abraham's relationship to God. So tithing was part of a relationship with God before Moses and his law, and so it continues in the church after Moses and his law. And so when we compare, let's take a step further, when we compare the uses of what was given in the Old Testament to the ways that the New Testament has the church spending its money, you're going to see that the uses of the money are the same, which further supports the practice of tithing, that it continues. And so, where did the money in the, in the Bible go that was tithed? Well, in the Old Testament, the tithe in the Old Testament was given to two things. First, it was given to spiritual leaders. The Old Testament, Levites and the priests. In Numbers 18, 24, in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 and following, these, the tithes supported the spiritual leaders and they funded the worship and the celebration of the community of God's people together. And then second, Uh, the tithes in the Old Testament were used to care for the local needy. Okay, this is again Deuteronomy 24, or sorry, it's Deuteronomy 14, verses 27 to 29. Every third year, the tithe didn't go to Jerusalem, but it stayed in the local community, and it was given to the local spiritual leaders in towns and the needy in those communities. In the New Testament, guess what? It's the same thing it's the same thing. Um, First, the New Testament tithe was given to the spiritual leaders. It was given to support them. So it was given to support pastors in 1 Timothy 5.17 and 1 Corinthians 9. And it was also given to care for the local needy in Acts chapter 4 verses 34 and 35. And so the purpose of the tithe didn't change from the Old to the New Testament. And so the practice didn't change. The tithe continues to support pastors, the ministry of the church, and the needy. This is God's heartbeat. And so we continue this practice of tithing 10% of our income to the church. And so for us, you know, as a church, we we give you updates usually three or four times a year. Um, And our bulletin has the weekly updates. Some of you see them there. Some of you don't see them. But in the inside of the bulletin on the left-hand side, you can see there that... um, So far our general offering, what's been given, is um, $432,000, almost $433,000. And we're currently under our budgeted giving by about $30,000. And so we've got five weeks from today till the end of the year to make up that amount, uh, and that's beside our Christmas offering. So we're gonna have a big December, right? Um, December's always our largest giving month, and, uh, and so to make our financial commitments, um, we just need all of us to put Jesus first in this area of our money. Okay, I'll talk about how to do this, but some of us need to become first-time givers. Some one-time givers need to become regular givers. And we all need to be working toward this practice of tithing. Now, I know that this can be challenging. I know that 10% is a lot of money. Uh, It feels like a lot of money. And I think that generally one of the biggest reasons why we don't give the way that God outlines in the Bible is because we're often afraid that if we give what God asks, we're not going to have enough for ourselves. Um, Here's the thing. Um, If you wait until you feel like you have enough money before you give, you're not going to ever give because you're never going to feel like you have enough money. Um, one of the lies that money constantly tells us is that you're going to be happy if you had just a little bit more. And so you're just, you're never going to feel, so, if, so I just want to encourage you, don't wait until you feel like you have enough to start giving. Start giving now. Um, this is why God tells us to give 10%, because he knows we're never going to feel like we have enough. Um, But if we don't give the way that God asks us to give, we're just never going to feel like we have enough. We're always going to feel unsure. We're always going to feel guilty. Um, And if, if you're not happy about the idea of giving to God, it could be an indication that you're putting money ahead of God in your life, that it's become an idol for you. And that is a very enslaving idol. Um, And that idol can be broken in part by deciding to put God first in front of money and then working with whatever you have left over and building your life around what's left over. Um, Fear isn't the only reason why people don't give um, 10% to the church. Um, There's some people that, frankly, they just don't trust the church. Um, They've been burned. They've had bad experiences with the church. They've heard about financial scandals and they just think like, I don't want to, I just don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to, I just want to avoid that. And so that can keep people from giving. If that's keeping you from giving, I would just ask you to get to know our church. Please like jump in and get involved and like just find out who we are, what we do. Um, I think you'll see that we can be trusted. Um, I would encourage you, if you have specific questions, you can ask me. You can talk to one of the elders. Um, the way our budget works, I mean, if you if you want, we we have a breakdown of the categories of our budget. If you'd like, we can send that to you as well. Um, if you want to see more of how we spend our money. But what Karen shared earlier about the policies and the meticulous nature of what we do with the money to try to be good stewards, that applies not just to the CARE Fund, but it applies to all the money that we spend. And so... Um, So if you don't trust the church, I want to say like I understand, just don't sit in the not trusting of the church. Like take some steps forward to verify. If we're not trustworthy, then please go find a church where you feel like you can trust the church enough to give them what God's asking you to give them. Um, Otherwise, lean in, and I think you'll find that we're not perfect, but our heart is to serve Jesus with everything that we have. The good news is that when you do tithe, like even in the midst of financial uncertainty, you have peace with God. There's a sense that you know you've put God first, you know that you've honored him, and that gives you a confidence that spills out into the other areas of your life. Um, There's just something about knowing that you've done what God asks you to do that makes a huge, huge difference it also gives you the ability, the freedom to say, you know what, I've actually given what God's asked me to give. I'm free to say no to other things. Like I've done what God's asked me to do. Like I've, I've, I'm done. Like I can say no. There's one passage in the Proverbs that speaks really wonderfully to this. It's Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says this. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, And only suffers want. So there are generous people here who know exactly what this feels like. They give and it's like, wow, I I just feel like like I'm good financially. And then there's people who don't give and they know what this feels like. It's like I never have enough. I never have enough. I don't know why. I can't get over. I'm not sure what's going on. Like I just never ever have enough. Like I thought that last raise was going to do it for me, but it doesn't. It's not. It's, I'm still in the same place I was five raises ago. Maybe the issue isn't that you need more money. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. So there is blessing to those who give. I'll tell you a story about someone that I know. They went back and forth. They had a long journey on their financial history with God. Um, they went from not knowing they were supposed to give to then they were part of a church that said, yeah, you're just supposed to give. Well, how much should I give? Well, you're just supposed to give as God leads. And they always felt like they were never giving enough because they always just felt this burden to like, Not, I don't know, they just felt like they never, ever gave enough. And then they came to understand this idea of tithing, and they were like, finally, like they're finally free. This person said, now I get it. Now the laws of giving set me free. I went from being blind when I didn't know I was supposed to give to being burdened because I felt like there was never, ever an end to giving to now I feel free. I went from I don't give to do I have to give to now I want to give. So here's the good news about tithing um, or giving money to the general fund of the church. When you do that, you get credit for everything that the church does. This is exciting um, because the church does some things that you're not good at and you kind of wish you were good at. You're not good at it. Maybe it's sharing your faith. Maybe it's, I don't know, playing music. Uh, maybe it's um, it's serving the homeless. Um You can't do these things, but if you're tithing and you're part of a church that does these things, you're supporting the church that is doing these things. And so you get credit. (laughs) And so um, that's good news. That's good news. And when God gives out credit, and he does, okay, God does credit us when we follow him and do what he says. When God gives credit, he doesn't look at the amount you give. He looks at the percentage of your gift, and this is what's awesome. Like this is amazing about God. It's again, if you're giving 10%, you are fulfilling your financial responsibility to the church. You're doing what God asks, and you get credit. Like God sees you and thinks that you're a wonderful part of what the church is doing. Now, if you're not giving 10%, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna talk about how to do this in just a second. Um, Now, look, some people give more than 10%. I think these are people who actually have the spiritual gift of giving, okay? And for these folks, um, they, they, they are driven by an overwhelming desire to give more. They're driven by the vision and the passion of the church. They're driven by an excitement about what Jesus is doing in the world. And when you give more than 10%, then Jesus meets you there and there is a blessing that's given to you that is the same as anytime anybody is using their spiritual gifts to bless the church, right? So whenever you use your gifts to bless the church, you get a blessing from Jesus. Like the giving of that gift is a blessing and that happens for those who give above and beyond 10%. So let's talk a little bit about how to tithe, okay? Okay. <laughs> I just thought of something that, for me, would be funny to say. I'm not sure if it'll come out funny. But so, you take your paycheck, you take the decimal point, you move it over one, and there you go. That's it. That's how you tithe. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, How to tithe. How to tithe, most of the time, you need to work toward tithing, okay? And this is where you need some grace. Some of you don't. Some of you just need to realize, oh, I didn't know this was the Bible taught, or I've heard this with the Bible taught, but now I'm actually gonna do it. Some of you just need to move into this place right now, okay? You you know what 10% of your income is, and you can start giving 10% of your income, and you need to do that. Some of you just need to do that. Um, For some of you, giving 10% starting today would put you in a financial situation that might cause you irreparable harm, okay? And if you're in that place the same God who is gracious enough to deal with our sins will be gracious in dealing with you in this area of your life as well. And so what you need to do is, if you're not giving 10%, ask yourself and figure out what percent are you giving? Okay? Like, find out. Like, go over your your checkbook, go into Quicken, whatever you know, computer program you use. Um, what is the percent that you're giving? Are you giving... 0%? Maybe? Are you giving 5%, 2%, 8%? Figure out the percent that you're giving and then work toward 10%. So let's say you're giving 2% right now. When you figure out what 2% looks like, <clears throat> you're going to know what 4% looks like, okay? 2% if, if 2% is this, 4% is twice that. Ask yourself, could I get to a place where in three months from now, I'm giving it 4%? In three months, say, okay, now I'm at 4%. Could I get to 8%? Could I get to 6% in another three months? Right? This is one of the ways that you can grow into biblical proportions. You can grow into giving what God wants. I think your heart matters you may find that as you, as you go from two to four, that you might be able to move more quickly than you thought you could. Um, you might be surprised at how many things might feel like they're not as important as it is to get you to a place where you're honoring God the way he wants you to. But if you need that time, take that time and work toward 10%. Okay, now, some of you haven't, some of you have heard me say this before. Like some of you, this isn't the first time you've heard me talk about working toward tithing. I think I talk about giving about once a year-ish, um, sometimes less often than that. Let me just ask you a question. What is your perc- Is your percentage now any different from the percentage that you were giving the last time you heard me talk about this? If you're not giving 10%, And you haven't moved from what you were giving before. The last time I talked about this. I think you're in sin. I don't think it's acceptable for you to be in the same place that you were. If it was a year ago that you heard me talk about this. Okay. I'm not trying to be ungracious. I'm not trying to be mean. But if you were giving 2% a year ago and you're still giving 2%, I think that you need to do something different and you need to be called toward 10%. Okay? If God asks us for this, we need to be moving in that direction. And if you're not, then I think you're not following Jesus in this area of your life. And I don't think you have a good excuse to be in the same place you were in before. Okay? If you need help, please ask. Um, we offer Dave Ramsey's financial peace classes that really help you sort of soup to nuts, look at your whole budget, help you work things out to actually experience incredible freedom in your life financially. Um, but don't stay in the same place again. I'm gonna talk about this again at some point in the future. Don't be in the same place. Like work and get help. Like none of us can do this on our own. It's okay to get help from other people in this. Um, And again, I'm not trying to be harsh. I just want you, like honestly, I know this sounds self-serving because I'm on staff and I get paid by the church, right? So I'm patting myself by getting you to give. I mean, I understand all of that. Please believe that I'm setting that aside out of love for each one of you. I want you to get to a place where many people have gotten and that's experiencing the freedom of the contentment of knowing that you're doing what God is asking you to do and working toward that process can be a very fulfilling experience. So caring and tithing. Um, these are the two ways that finish up the four ways to spend money. And I got to tell you, these things, these ways both express our church's values. Right? We looked at these one by one last time. We're not going to go through all of them individually like we did last time, but um, but our church has five values. We're gospel-centered, we're growing in community, we're living on mission, we're city-positive, and we're equipping leaders. Um, when you tithe, all of these things come true for you because you're tithing to a church that values these things and you're enabling us to be the church that can do all these things. Okay, um, And so tithing covers all of this. It enables us to preach the gospel. It enables us to be a community. It enables us to give the mission and lead it forth, right? It helps us to do city-positive things that surprise people in our city, and it also helps us to equip leaders. But with caring, I just want to call back to caring now for just a second, and I I just want to remind you of a story. Um, In one of the life groups, one of our life groups worked with the care team and something really wonderful happened. One of the folks in the life groups, they needed a wheelchair ramp installed uh, in their home, but they had trouble with the finances of it. Either they, it was going to cost too much to have, it was going to cost a lot of money to buy one that was going to be custom for what they needed, but they didn't have the skills to actually build one, you know, and just and pay less money for the materials. And so the life group found out and wanted to help. And that life group grew in community because they pooled the resources of the group. They all became more personally aware of the need and the people that were that were in need. They interacted with the care team, and they ended up um, they ended up paying for a significant. They pooled money. They paid for a significant portion of it. Um, There were people who took leadership in the organizing of the funds. And so this is sort of an equipping leaders kind of thing. It was a growing in community kind of thing. It was an affirmation of the body and soul, like the city positive, the the physical need mattered. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to pray for you. But it was, we're going to step up and meet this need that you have for your physical body. Um, And then there was this amazing opportunity for this group to live on mission because one of the group members had a husband who wasn't really affiliated with our church, didn't show up very often, maybe once or twice a year. Um, But he was an architect and was good with his hands. And when he found out about the need, he agreed to do the design drawings. He actually drew up the plans and volunteered his own time and actually built it. He built the ramp and installed it. And so, and in that process was able to interact with and deepen relationships and just got this amazing taste of the gospel and the community of our church as we got to live on mission. And so God used this opportunity to care for this, in this life group to meet this need and also to fulfill like all of our church's values. And so this is what happens. This is the exciting thing that happens as we press in to spending our money the way that God asks us to. And all of this, I think, is a reflection of the gospel. I mean, it reminds me of the last verse in your bulletin, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says this, it says, "'For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'that though he was rich, "'yet for your sake he became poor.'" so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So in these ways, we reflect the good news of Jesus. Jesus was immeasurably wealthy in heaven. He was having a great time up there, worshiped and honored, obeyed as he deserves to be, and he left all of that, and he became impoverished for us. He took on human flesh, he took on limitation, he took on our humanity in all of its brokenness. He lived in a world that didn't have time for him. He lived in a world that didn't have room for him, right? Christmas is coming, and there was no room for him in the inn. Uh, he was dishonored, he was disregarded, he became poor. Why did he do it? For your sake. For my sake so that he would do the work to bring us back to God. All the things that separate us from God, he took on himself on the cross. He didn't just give his wealth, but he gave his life. And when we sacrifice our time, our talents, our treasure, when we give to the church and to people in our lives, we get to image this gospel. We get to be pictures of this gospel. And what is as exciting as this is the reality that Jesus himself says that when you give money to meet the needs of others, when you sacrifice any part of your life to meet someone else's needs, you are actually doing it for him. Jesus says, if you, when I was, he says, when I was, I'm sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Um, When I was naked, you clothed me. And they were like, Jesus, when? When did we do this? And Jesus said, in as much as you've done it for the least of my brethren, you've done it for me. So we do it because of his great love and we get to love him back with every dollar that we spend. Let's pray together. Jesus, only you, only you could inspire us and then receive from us our response. Jesus, we pray that you would forgive us for our lack of faith and our fear that keeps us from stepping out and sacrificing for you. Draw near to us and give us courage and confidence. So that, we, so that we would give the way you've asked us to give and experience the blessing of your presence as we do. Thank you for giving us the privilege of supporting the church and of being able to be miracles in the lives of others. Show us this week what we can do so that we can walk in this.